This is the San Francisco Experience with your host, Jim Herlihy. Independent news commentary with a California perspective, featuring newsmakers, thought leaders, and authors. Season 10, Episode 5, Escape to the Stars, talking with author Mark Sneed. In today's episode, we'll be talking with author Mark Sneed and featuring his sixth novel, Escape to the Stars. Mark joins us today from his home in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Hi, Mark, and welcome to the show. Thank you so much for inviting me, and it's an honor. My pleasure, Mark. And Mark, why don't we just take a couple of minutes? Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about your biography and your history? Sure. It's always kind of hard when people ask for a biography because I'm like, I don't think I'm really dead, but I can kind of give like <laughs> I know. So I was born in Alabama in the South, grew up in Chicago, but because this is the San Francisco experience, I actually ended up at Cal where I went to school and got an English major. I, I, that's the Cal experience there. That's, I was a teacher after I graduated, an English teacher, and I taught junior college, high school, middle school, English. In that time, obviously, got, got to read a lot, got to write a lot, got to talk to students about writing and reading and enjoyed it very much. So I did that for about 25 years and have recently retired, find myself in Florida where I'm writing books. As Jim pointed out, I've just recently written Escape to the Stars. Prior to that, which is probably the the reason that Jim wanted to talk to me was because Bully Nation, my second novel, received the Cygnus Award for science fiction. So I, again, I'm very honored to be here today on a San Francisco Experience. And Jim, again, it's an honor. Hopefully that's enough for most people. Well, Mark, listen, for anyone who's retired or thinking of retirement, you have given them a pathway to have written six books and then retirement, there's probably another few books that you're planning to write. So at this point, let's jump into Escape to the Stars. Now, let's start off with the genre. What is the genre of this novel? Almost immediately, I want to say it's just science fiction, but I think that most people, when they read it, and most of the people who have reviewed it have said that they're really surprised because it's African-American science fiction. And you and I talked about this offline. And when I say African-American science fiction, it's not the Octavia Butler kind of stuff. It's a space adventure. And so I don't know if we've ever, and I, I haven't seen in my readings, a time where there are black astronauts, uh, black space adventures. And so my novel is a little bit particularly different because the main characters are african-american and i for whatever reason i don't i'm always confused on science fiction because most science fiction seems to drop out people of color hmm. and i guess it's just a future of only white people which is i don't think that's going to be the case i i hope it's not going to be that well case. i certainly hope it's not going to be the case and in fact what uh, that diversity was something that really drew me to mm -hmm. your novel and yeah. it was the first science fiction novel that I read, which features a protagonist, a hero, who's a young African-American guy, and mm -hmm. his name is Christian Drake. And tell us a little bit about Christian, because he's a, he's a very interesting guy. He's, in many respects, he's, he's like your astronaut, typical astronaut, but in some regards, he's not. Tell us a little bit about the protagonist. 
Well, again, like I said, I've, I've all, I wanted to push the idea of what a space hero looked like and flip it and put it into a perspective that I understood. And that's a, that's some, I, I'm, I'm black. So it's easy for me to see this and hope, you know, and when I read, I always want things that I, I see. So Christian is an, just a normal person, but he is, he's, he's not even 20 yes. and he's a Marine, but he's not the Marine that none of this is very typical. So they're all, everyone in, in the space adventure and the story, they're very young. I mean, because in my mind, I never imagined that, you know, they're not going to send people into space to be in space and do things and be really old because, you know, you can't, you, you physically couldn't be able to be very strong at doing that. So I always thought it would be different. Christian happens to be a mechanic. So he's not the guy out, not some like no neck, swole guy who's supposed to be like chewing nails and beating up people <laughs> he's he's just this mechanic who's asked to he's got some skills and they're asked to go and and retrieve some equipment as well as recover or find some missing scientists but christian's job isn't to find the missing scientists his job is really just to go and retrieve the equipment the the critical equipment now let, let's talk yeah. about the plot because the plot is fascinating and of course in this era of climate change and we've mm-hmm. had we've had days here in california where socked in with smog and one or two days mm-hmm. last year where we didn't have any sun now yeah of course the the plot which I'll, I'll ask you to speak to in a moment, but the plot assumes that Earth has become increasingly uninhabitable, and as mm-hmm. a result of being uninhabitable, thousands and a hundred, <laughs> and you say 144,000 people from the United States are earmarked to go and colonize planets outside of the Earth. There mm-hmm. is this huge spacecraft called the Indomitable, and that is that's to me that I thought, my gosh, that's the that's Star Trek's Enterprise. Tell us about the plot because the plot is on the one hand it's science fiction, but on the other hand it, it kind of draws from you know some of the apocalyptic climate change that we're seeing here, which really makes you question how habitable is our planet, or how sustainable yes. is this process well you know i think that when i was writing this the, the plot of it is is really like as i said earlier very simple go and retrieve some equipment and find these scientists but at the same exact time there the background and the one of the things that when you when you're world building you have to create all this stuff so that people have something to, to hold on to and the ideas that you just brought up are the background of it right so like the majority of or not the majority but the beginning of the of the novel really plays with this idea of these young people helming this gigantic space station toward the edges of the milky way they're all looking for a place to live because simultaneously there are satellites where those 144 are living but those are satellites they're not on a planet because there's no at this present time recognized planets that we have in in the milky way that don't hold life and so there's nothing no place that they can they imagine that they could be on but there are settlements and so that's where they're going and with the whole with the hope again that 
it might be a habitable place rather than people want to just because no one wants to. I don't think after a while you would probably get really bored. I mean, I would if I had to just float around all my whole life, I'd just probably <laughs> just like go crazy. I mean, like I want gravity. Yes, we all need gravity. Gravity is what, yeah. what holds us down. Now, in this particular case, a settlement has been established on a far out, somewhat habitable planet called Rigo mm. C on the edge yeah. of the Milky Way. A little settlement was created. Some scientists were sent down there. And the scientists have been kidnapped, it appears, from the settlement by the sentient beings of that planet. Of course, the mission that Christian and his team has is to go to the planet, rescue the scientist, rescue the equipment, come back to the spaceship and move on. Is that right? Right. Yeah, right. It's as simple as that. But of course, when we talked offline, one of the things that's really fascinating to me about the theme is that there's these per perceptions that are completely human arrogance, right? So I think that many of the science fiction stories where you have you're in space humans are always smarter than the, than the aliens even the aliens that are really smart we can outsmart them I'm, i don't know how that's possible to be honest and in this situation there's a lot of belief that these that creatures can be smarter than us and if they're they're smarter than us though they don't look like us it is it's still just something that you have to have to deal with and you have to figure out how to manage them if you will but i think that one of the hard parts about it is that there's that arrogance is that and again this is from the 1940s kind of mindset if you find if you see something that doesn't look like you you kill it and i think that when christian and the the galactic marines arrive they're, they feel like the astronauts that they are, because one of the coolest things, for me at least, one of the coolest things is when they land on Rigo C, and again, these are young, these are teenagers, and they're, they jump out of the transport and say, I'm the eighth man on uh, uh, Rigo C, and the ninth man, and on and on and on, a real kind of moment for them to to really be kids because you know i mean if you get you land on a planet and you know you're going to you're a new astronaut it's, it's still kind of like nice right because you're like making history like neil armstrong when he right. stepped on the moon one small step for man one giant leap for mankind now when christian and his fellow marines land on rigo c as Christian is jumping out of the space vehicle, not the not the big indomitable, but a, a smaller mm -hmm. shuttle, as he's uh, the, tra the transport, as he's jumping out of it, he tumbles and he tumbles on onto the sand of Rigo mm -hmm. C, and he's stunned. He's covered in the sand, and it's in his eyes and his nose and his nostril and his his skin is covered with it, and and then quickly one of his fellow marine buddies comes up and the medic and shakes him and brings him to and tell us about that because that's the critical that's a, a critical point in the story about how christian begins to relate to the sentient beings of rigo c planet well i think that i'm, I'm going to back up just a little bit so like before they before the the, the galactic marines arrive on rigo c there's a lot of military stuff that goes on. And, and I think that I'm, the reason I'm bringing that up is because there's this hierarchy and there's this power play. Christian's just a private. He's not a, you know, he's not a officer. And so he does, he's, he just listens and he's 
told to do things. And, and that's kind of like his, I guess, his, his situation, right? His station in, at in the Marines. So when he lands, one of the things that almost immediately the Marines realize is the sand that blows back up into the, into the sky and onto them is that a lot of the sand is precious gems, but it's, it's only precious to them because, you know, they, they can recognize what it is, but because it's on a different planet, it's probably meaningless, right? Because it's just sand to, to if for anyone else, because there's not a bank there. It's not anyone who's going to jewelry maker or gym maker or anything uh -huh. like that. So when Christian is, so Christian picks up some, some, everyone picks up gems because it's like, well, when we get back to the military base, maybe we can trade them in and, you know, we'll have diamonds and then we don't have to be um, anymore. That's kind of like their idea. And then there's a tremor. And as you said, Christian gets buried. But I, as I think I, I think I said this to you, Jim, it is really a baptism for Christian because he is taken beneath the sand mm -hmm. and then his marine fellow colleagues pull him out from the sand mm -hmm. and while he's under the sand he is listening and hears things and but he's not certain if what he's hearing because again his role as a marine is to listen and do what he's told if that makes any sense i don't want it i didn't want it to be too heavy-handed but it has always kind of been like a thing theme for me because if you play sports you know you're asked to do something and you either do it or you don't and the same thing for christian so i hope that makes a little sense go ahead well it, in fact what happens is the the sand the the land of rigosi starts talking to him and addressing him as starfish and as it's a talking to him, Christian is listening, as you say, because that's what he's been trained to do. He's listening and he's not quite sure, is this, is he, is he hallucinating? Is this concussion? What is this? Over time, he begins to realize that, that he's being communicated to by the sentient beings of Rigo C. He's uh, actually, it's that he's, he's made a connection and, and they've made a connection with him. And he doesn't, he, and again, like you said, it's through it, through it, through the majority of it, he's not sure if that's real. He, and, and it makes sense. I mean, why would you think that to be the case, right? As he gets further into, or as you get further in the story, you start to understand what the land is. And the land gives, is, gives a little bit of history. And so you start to see what's going on. And I think before we get that part, the part that I thought was really interesting is the part where the land makes a promise to him when Christian is removed or picked up out of the sand and taken back to the transport with his, his Marines, the land has promised that he's going to see the protectors. And he's all like, what protectors, right? And when he approaches the transport, again, this is science fiction, out of the, the ground come these huge, gigantic, squid-like creatures. And they are, you know, towering, huge creatures, not and not very small. They are covered in these smaller crab-like creatures, which are really like their children. So 
and Christian and all the Marines are like, what the heck, right? Because this is the this is their first alien they've seen. Because the ones that they that the scientists have recorded are not those, and so they're they're completely stunned. And that's in fact that reminded me of those Japanese horror films of the late 1950s, Godzilla, Rodan. You know the gi- the gigantic horrible monster that was going to eat up Tokyo. Yeah, no one. So there, there was an element of that. So, so then the transporter continues on. They locate the settlement where the scientist had been. They secure it, and they're tell us what happens after that. You know, Marines have like, oh, you know what? I think I actually we get the quick part. So let me just add real quick. When the Indomitable, when they, when the Marines go down, the Indomitable is being, I guess, navigated or controlled by a, a bunch of younger pilots and all of them are white a science officer a white science officer decides to go down onto the planet because she's never been on the planet no one really you know no if you're in the in this hierarchy the pilots are the ones who are flying and they don't go down and they don't do the grunt work and this science officer decides to go down because she's never been and almost immediately the marines are like why are you going down? It's so weird, right? And because it's dangerous, if you think about it. She's the one who kind of explains about the weird squid-like creatures, all the creatures that they're seeing as they're heading to the settlement. They arrive at the settlement. The Marines themselves have have a mission. They're, they're, everyone has a mission. Only person who seems to have, like, Free, free choice is the science science officer. Christian is supposed to be working on making sure the equipment is ready to go. The Marines themselves are preparing to go and find the scientists. And so they go and try to find the scientists. The land has told them, the land or the sand is talking to whoever's in, in Christian's head is telling them that be careful. There are things don't uh, things aren't always as they appear. And that that kicks into the the theme of most of the story after this is that this whole manipulation kind of thing. So hopefully that's clear. And, and tell us a little bit about I, I know you're a big fan of Lewis Carroll and, of yes. course, Illusion. Tell us about Illusion, because Illusion plays a big role and it's part it's a significant theme in this book, in yeah. addition to manipulation. Well, I think that you. When I, the thing I like about uh, Lewis Carroll and many authors are that they when they craft these these stories and then you have to wonder is this real am i is this really happening because even you know everyone who loves alice in wonderland you have to wonder to yourself throughout the story is is she really seeing a rabbit or a queen swinging with a stork's head that kind of stuff and you're like but you know you have to kind of believe it right well the same thing is happening in 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 Escape to the Stars, in a sense, but for me, the ideas are that there is, again, higher powers, stronger powers, more powers than us, and in our knowledge, I don't think that the we will, we, when we, and if we, we find aliens, they're not going to be like ants. I think what's going to happen is we're going to be the ants and they're going to be very powerful and we'll be like, what's going on? Right. And with the Lewis Carroll thing, as you uh, referenced, I think that for me, the land happens to be these caterpillars and the caterpillars are very similar in look 
to, I think I was through the looking glass when she was talking to the one who had the hookah. It's it, it, it always stuck out in my mind. And I was like, well, because I don't know if you ever if you I know you said you you mentioned Star Trek. I I, I just ne- never did get the idea that aliens are going to have two legs and two arms and a head and and two ears and they're going to talk just like us and i'm like that doesn't make them aliens oh just because they have a different color skin doesn't make them aliens their ears are pointy doesn't make them aliens not to me so i always want to be a little bit more than that well let's come back to the the concept of illusion because they oh and then the the loas Tell us about the Loas and the other sentient back, beings that they come across. I apologize. I got a little far afield. So what I was going to go back to the real quick, the illusion. The science, uh, the Marines go, in, go out, they succeed. They, they, they go and find the scientists. And when the scientists return, Murray, who is the, the science officer, says, this doesn't feel right. I don't, they don't sound like scientists. And she's talking to Christian and he, he's like, what do you mean? They realize that they're not real scientists. They're, these these aren't scientists. And instead, they are these sentient beings that they've seen video on. And there are three types of these sentient beings. There's a, a small one, a medium-sized, almost human-sized one, and then there's these gigantic ones. And they're, they would be like maybe seven, eight feet tall. So the ones that are pretending to be scientists are the middle size ones, but the lowers or the are the are the illusionists, and they're the ones who are the brainiest. And you only find that out because a loa appears and explains all this. It is again, like you said, it's an illusion. Everything that you think, like if you think that the, the, the humans think I'm in charge here, they're really not in charge. And then they. Then it starts, we don't want to give too much of the plot away, but right. at, at one point... It's adventurous. It's, 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 it's very adventurous, and Christian has is accused by his commanders of having gone over to the other side and being too... Well, sim- of course, of course. Uh, because, be, being too sympathetic to the Loas, and then, right. he, then he gets court-martialed, he gets mm-hmm. flogged. Tell us mm-hmm. about that without giving away the, the end of the story. So I, I think like I, I, I kind of said this, but again, I, I want to point this out that I think that what happens is again, you're either with us in in in, in the Marines' minds, right, or humans' minds. You're either with us or you're against us. That's it. That's an illusion in and of itself because there are some gradients here, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that in the story, the idea is that you can be with the with us and not appreciate what's going on and that's kind of where the situation is and of all everybody who's trying to make this this manageable situation out of a out of chaos christian's the only one who finds himself in in hot water simply because murray who again the science officer she's she's not seen as a marine so because she's not seen as a marine uh, on the uh, planet, she's not going to suffer any consequences. The only other Marine who has any skin in the game would, is, a, is a corporal, so they're almost an officer. And so officers, again, are not going to suffer as much, I guess, if that makes any sense. And so when Christian, everyone, they, 
at the end, someone has to be blamed and someone has to take the punishment for that blame. And so they it, it falls on to Christian. But the thing that's really I, I like is that Christian has a, a kind of coming to Jesus moment where he's like he knows he's in trouble. He knows that this is really bad. But while he's waiting for the court martial, the flogging and all that to happen, the land says, simply, I'm going to protect you. And I think that it is a real surprise because Christian gets flogged, but and he's supposed to be flogged X amount of of time, but he passes out Mm -hmm. and he doesn't really recall it. But if you if if you understand what flogging is, he is harmed, hurt physically and but when the story continues and i don't want to give all the 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 end away but when the story continues the that seems to not be as bad as we initially thought well listeners as mark just said we're not going to tell you what the ending is but ultimately the land said he that christian would be protected and so mark without giving away the end And in the last remaining minutes of our podcast, are there any additional thoughts you have for our listeners with regard to Escape to the Stars? Because it's a fascinating African-American, first of all, it's science fiction from an Mm African-American perspective. But additionally, you're dealing with psychological concepts of manipulation. That's a very strong theme, illusion and so on and so forth. But in our last remaining minutes of the podcast, do you have, do you have some of the closing thoughts for our listeners? Well, I, one of the things I would like to say is that, again, thank you, Jim, for the opportunity to just share. But I think that one of the things that I would appreciate is that you get an opportunity to read it and look at it and get, and get your, your viewers or listeners' perspective on it. I, I hope that it, what I wrote is something that is interesting. I, I love to read and I, I wanted to I wanted to write something that I want to read. The thing that I should there I'm always really happy to to point out that Escape to the Stars right now is in the top one hundred Amazon bestsellers and I'm really happy about that. That's a really good moment. But if my if people aren't reading it or enjoying it, that matters more to me than anything else. Because I think that Good writing is good writing. And it's if you enjoy it, if you have a good story, you have something that readers will, will want to continue to read. And hopefully that's what I've done. Uh, go out and it's on, it's on Amazon. It's, a, it's in bookstores as well. And if, if you don't find it in a bookstore, just ask for it. They can order it. Well, Mark, it's a, it's a good read. It's well written. And even for, for listeners who may not who may not be regular science fiction readers, Go out and get this book because it's going to give you a very different perspective on science fiction because it's perspective that is rare, if not unique, an African-American perspective on science fiction and a space story. So once again, congratulations, Mark. And tell us about the the other book that you wrote that won the Cygnus Prize. I wrote uh, Bully Nation is my uh, dystopian novel. And I... I, I was going to say, I don't always, I haven't to, told anyone yet. So Bully Nation and Escape to the Stars are kind of connected. Bully Nation is the, is the earth, is on the earth that is now near and, and uninhabitable. Again, another African-American set story where, where the, the residents are more in living in a utopian kind of situation. 
where they don't, there's not any, obviously there's no war anymore, but there's all sorts of stuff going on outside. And to make the residents comfortable, they allow the residents once a year to watch a kind of lottery gladiator game. And so that's, that's bully nation. And it's, it, again, it's unique, I think, because it again, ha- it's a futuristic novel, but with black people. In it. Well, I want to thank our guest, Mark Sneed, accomplished author. He's on to his sixth novel. You can read his books. You can get his books, Escape to the Stars that we reviewed today, and also Bully Nation at mm-hmm. Amazon.com, and really commend them to your attention. A unique perspective and a different voice. And Mark, once again, thank you very much for being our guest today on the San Francisco Experience. Thank you. It's been an honor. Appreciate it. And for my listeners, please take a moment to visit my website to subscribe to the podcast, www.thesanfranciscoexperience.com. It's free to do so. And by subscribing, all future episodes will come directly to your inbox. You can also listen to the previous 188 shows, read my book, peruse my blog, send me an email, or leave a comment. This has been the San Francisco Experience with your host, Jim Herlihy, reporting to you from America's favorite city, San Francisco.